It really is good to be with you this morning and to be able to share. I feel that this time of year is a very special time of year and it's so lovely to be in church with God's people. And so I feel very privileged to be able to share with you today and thank you for the opportunity. Let's just commit the time to the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ as our Saviour and King. Teach us more today about your forever precious promises and the gifts that you have for each one of your children. Amen. I don't know what your viewing habits are, whether it be film, streaming or TV or what, but I wonder whether you've ever noticed if you get a film and it's a good one and it's popular, you very often get ones that follow on. So... For example, we watched something the other day and Paul said, it's number two tomorrow, because there's a sequence of them. But there's a particular television drama that's on my mind, and some of you younger ones may not know it, but for those who remember, there was a series about an Oxford detective by the name of Morse, and it became very popular and it's played over and over again. And it follows Morse through up until the time of his death. And then shortly after that, a sequel was made. And it picked up after Morse had died. And it was called Lewis. And Lewis was Morse's sidekick. And Lewis had now become an inspector. And he followed him through to the time when he retired and then became a consultant to the force. But then after that, another one was made and it was before Morse and it was called Endeavour because that was Morse's Christian name and it started with him as a young constable just setting out on his career with the police and it followed it through and at that moment in time you could see some of the problems he was encountering some of the way in which he was investigating things, which was very much at odds with how it was done in those days. And you could see things all joined together and fit, and everything that followed had made sense once you watched this, and it was a prequel to it. And we are now in this period of Advent, this time of expectation, anticipation, preparation, waiting for the coming of Jesus Christ at his birth and the build-up to his arrival at Bethlehem. And in many ways, we are living in a perpetual advent because as believers, we are waiting for the sequel. We are waiting for the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ, for his coming, that time when he'll come back to earth and establish his kingdom. But, you know, there's a prequel to it as well. There's something that went before Advent. And that's what I want us to think about this morning. So my title for today is Advent, the prequel. And to do this, we need to go back into the Old Testament, into some history. And so what I want to do is read to you today from 2 Samuel chapter 7 the first 16 verses. And in my Bible, this is headed, God's promise to David. 
After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a palace of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. That night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people shall not oppress them any more, as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you, that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who built a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So this is an exchange between David and God. And we need to look a little bit at the context of it and set it in the the place it comes in Scripture. The reign of David was promised long, long before it happened. If you go back to 1 Samuel 16, you will find the passage where Samuel anoints David as a teenager when he was still working for his father as a shepherd in the fields. He was anointed by Samuel and became God's Messiah because the word Messiah means anointed one. And this all happened long, long before David took up his kingship. God, at this point, had rejected Saul, but Saul was clinging to the throne even after God's rejection. And David's path to the throne, to his kingdom, was long, it was hazardous. But now, when we come to chapter 7, 
everything has fallen into place. Saul is dead and David is king. And so this chapter starts with a comment from David. And basically what David is saying is, now God's kingdom here has arrived. David is at rest, he's sat in his house, he's quiet, undisturbed, probably meditating upon the law of God. It's a transient period. At the moment, everything is calm. The Philistines have been subdued, even though it was only a temporary rest. David was installed in Jerusalem as the king of Israel. He was no longer running. He was living in a beautiful cedar palace that Hiram of Tyre had built for him. If you go back to chapter 6, the Ark of the Covenant had been brought to Jerusalem and the Ark had travelled with the people for many, many years. It was a symbol of God's presence and God's power. It was God's footstool, the place where heaven and earth met. But up until this point, the Ark had been in a tent known as a tabernacle. You can go back to Exodus 25 for that. And David was thinking, he'd got his splendid palace and he was comparing it to the place where the ark rested, a tent. So now, David wants to honour God by building a temple, a permanent home in Jerusalem for the ark. And he tells Nathan, the prophet, this is what he wants to do. And we read that Nathan very readily understood what was in David's heart and agreed and gave David the go-ahead. David's intentions are good, and David thinks now that things are just about as good as it can get. He's installed on the throne, he's ruling, the enemy are defeated, and David believes that the high point of the history has been reached. But... David's purpose to build this house for God is superseded by something much greater. C.S. Lewis, in his sermon, The Weight of Glory, writes these words, We are far too easily pleased. And in some respects, that can apply to David. He's satisfied with the state of things and the position that they're in. But then we get God's reply. It's not a conversation, it's God speaking. And the essence of what God is saying to David is, no, David, I'm just getting started. Nathan had been quick to give David the go-ahead to build the temple, and that night, God gives Nathan a message for David. And the message is quite simply, I will not rest until my people rest. And God explains that the tent is perfect for him, for the ark. It suits his purpose. The tent is a movable thing. And the tabernacle, the tent, reflects the type of God that he is. Basically, what God is saying is, I'm a God who moves with my people and I travel with them on their journey, wherever it is. And the tabernacle was an illustration that the God of Israel was with his people and leading them. It was made to God's specifications. It was very impressive, but it was a tent. And David thinks it's inadequate. 
God was not just making do. He was sending out a message about the type of God he is, the God who travels with his people through the desert, through, through the fertile places, and travels with them to get them safely to their destination. And God had to remind David that he was with him wherever he went. He reminded him that he dwelt with him as a shepherd boy, as a king in waiting, when he was running away from Saul. He reminded him that he'd raised him up from a very lowly position. He'd given him success and victory. He'd given him honour and a reputation among the nations. And that he'd been with him through all of this. And that David had been leading him, God had been leading David, just as he had led the children of Israel through the desert. But here was David thinking that everything was all over. He'd arrived at the destination. So God's kingdom had come. And so that's why he wanted to build a temple to round everything off, to complete it all. But for God, the journey was far from over. God was telling David, there is so much more to come. David had been too easily pleased with what he'd got. God had got in mind an eternal kingdom, a kingdom that has not yet arrived in all of its fullness. Spurgeon said these words about this. Though the Lord refused to David the realisation of his wish, he did it in a most gracious manner. He did not put the idea away from him in anger or disdain, as though David had cherished an unworthy desire. But he honoured his servant even in the non-acceptance of his offer. Because what God said to David was, the son of David will set up my eternal kingdom. David's wish to build a house for God was set aside and in place of that, God promised to David a house, a line of rulers, a dynasty. And one of that line of rulers was to build God's house, the temple, God's permanent dwelling place. But God's plans were to go far, far beyond David's life. You see, God's plans are forever. Forever is God's time scale. You see, we're a little bit like David, think in terms of days, weeks, months, if you're younger, years, and we get impatient. It's a difficult concept to think of forever, but God is working forever. We're so happy to accept temporary peace and rest, and we're too easily satisfied, but God isn't limited in his time scale or his ability to make things happen. And there were stages to God's fulfilment of this promise. Because in 1 Kings, we read that Solomon was the one who built the temple. But you know, the temple wasn't forever. It didn't bring permanent rest for God's people because the temple was destroyed and God's people were taken into exile. Solomon's reign wasn't forever. Because he wasn't the perfect king, 
But God did make a forever promise, a promise that he would adopt and have a covenant relationship with David's dynasty. God said of Solomon, I will be his father and he shall be my son. And God's love will never be taken away from him as it was taken from Saul. But because of this father-son relationship, God would discipline Solomon as a loving father. David's line was promised that it would not be cut off, as Saul's line was. The survival of David's house will be because of God's promise, not because it was any better than Saul's. David's house would survive because of God's faithfulness, not because of David's offspring. God said, when he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod of discipline. That was the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And David's offspring were punished because they did wrong. The kingdom was split. The temple was destroyed. Israel went into exile. And when the exiles returned, they didn't return to perfect rest but to a hard existence under a fallen rule. And although God brought discipline, he didn't forget his promise that the house of David and his kingdom would endure forever. And we read of those promises throughout Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Amos, Micah. But you know, if we look ahead... All the promises that God gave to David pointed forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of those promises were fully accomplished in Jesus. Because we read, we're told in Acts 13, he was the seed of David. David's house and kingdom would come to an end but the Messiah's kingdom is everlasting. Laura opened the service this morning with those words from Isaiah 9. And verse 7 of that says, The increase of his government and peace shall know no end. Thank you, Laura, for reading that passage because it was a perfect start. Through David's house, God was going to provide salvation for us, for me, for you, ultimately for all mankind. If you move into Matthew chapter 1, you read the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ and we see that his ancestry goes back to King David. But Luke adds that Jesus is the son of David, but also the son of God. And God's forever promise to David was fulfilled in Jesus. When Jesus came to earth, John tells us the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. The Son of God pitched his tent with us. He made his dwelling place with us when he came to earth. And just like in the Old Testament, Jesus pitched his tent among us in order to lead us on to perfect eternal rest in him. And Jesus will not rest until his people have received perfect rest. But the rod of discipline on wrongdoing that was brought upon Solomon and David's family was broken with Jesus because he was perfect. He committed no sin, no wrong, no deceit. 
And unlike the other descendants of David, Jesus didn't deserve man's discipline. But he suffered. He was punished. He was killed by human hands. He was without sin, but punished for us. And we read that frequently in Isaiah 53. Jesus, the perfect son of God, the sinless one, was punished so that we can be forgiven. But in addition to being forgiven, we're welcome into God's family. We're heirs of the promise that God gave to David. And ultimately, we're given a place in the kingdom of God, a place of rest. And so we've come really a full circle because we started with Advent. And this is the significance of what we celebrate at Advent. It's the fulfillment of that ancient promise that God gave to David, the promise of an eternal kingdom. We can celebrate the assurance that God is with us and that he will not rest until he's led us to Christ's second advent, when Christ comes again to establish his eternal kingdom, a new kingdom here on earth. See, David was too easily pleased. He thought he'd got everything and that God had done everything he was going to do. And that can be us. We can be too easily pleased with the things that we've got. But this Christmas, it's about so, so much more. It's about God's kingdom and his eternal kingship. God has perfect eternal gifts for mankind. And this is the bigger reality that we need to keep in mind at Christmas. God's forever promise is at the centre of what we celebrate. If you get a moment, do read on through the rest of the chapter. Because I love how it starts. Verse 18 says, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. And we get David's response to what God had been telling him. So thank you for listening. Have a truly blessed Advent time as we lead into Christmas. Thank you.